Hey everybody, St. Paul here. Welcome to episode 52 of Music on the Run. It's Christmas tree day today with the family. Hey, my guest coming up, none other than the legendary Eric Leeds on Music on the Run. Whew. Before we get started here, do me a favor, wherever you got this podcast, make sure you subscribe, give us a rating, and if you have time and like what you're hearing, make sure you write a review. It really helps us get the word out so we can have a lot more people coming to the party. Hey everybody, I'm St. Paul Peterson. Prince gave me that nickname, and I've been lucky enough to tour with people like the Steve Miller Band, Kenny Loggins, Peter Frampton, Donnie Osmond, to name a few. And when I'm not playing music, I love to run. And this is a podcast about how we stay healthy on the road, physically, mentally, and with our families. Welcome to Music on the Run. Hey everybody, St. Paul here. Welcome to episode 52 of Music on the Run. Man, have we got a great episode uh, that's coming up here, but I do want to say... Thank you to all of you who have been listening and watching. This is, like I said, episode 52. We're just about to enter our third season of Music on the Run, and we couldn't do it without you. And I want to especially thank our patrons. Uh, you can go there and financially support the podcast, www.patreon.com forward slash Music on the Run podcast. There's a few different levels there. Go check it out. There's some cool perks, but I want to thank all of those guys and all of you who've been keeping us alive here uh, financially. We appreciate your contributions to uh, Music on the Run podcast. Without further ado, this uh, young man that I'm about to interview, I've known for over 35 years. We were in a group called The Family Together, and he's gone on to do so many incredible, incredible things. He's a Grammy Award winner, a train lover, and uh, one of my dearest friends on the planet. Please welcome Mr. Eric Leeds to the show. I have a question. Yes, what's the question? You wait until episode 52 before you have me? <laughs> hey, you technically were on uh, with F Deluxe before. That's right, I was. Yes. You were. Of course. Of course. You came over and gave your Thanksgiving cookies to me, as usual. I bring you cookies. How many years have been giving me cookies? Every year I give you cookies. Every year he delivers? And they're new cookies every year. Oh, they, they aren't the... They aren't just... They're not uh, the old ones. Yeah. Every, they were very good. They were a hit. They were a hit. There's hardly any left. And I wish my music was as much a hit. <laughs> hey, we got new music to talk about. We're going to wait a minute before we do that. But uh, you and I have been friends for a long time. Yeah. And you remember more about my early life than I do, which is a very, very uh, uh, strange proposition. Well, there. And sometimes that, I have to call you and go, Eric, what was I doing when I was 21 years old? 21 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I don't want to know. Yes. Sometimes I don't want to remember. <laughs> Either you or me. But whatever. Yeah. 30,000 foot view. Eric and I were uh, in a group called The Family Together back in the Prince camp. And that was about 1985? 80, well, yeah. We started working on the album in 84. I had no idea who you were. I, I, my situa Here's the situation. Yeah. I'm getting out of a group called Morris Day and the Time. We had just made Purple Rain. Morris decides to leave. Y'all ran out of time. Pretty, he ran out of time. Yeah. He leaves the band. Prince has us in a semicircle at this warehouse. He says, you've seen the people who have left. 
I'm going to form a new band. And he pointed at me and said, you're going to be the new lead singer. At least that's the way I remembered it. Anyway, I had not met you yet. And he didn't have his glasses on either. <laughs> he did. He was like, oh, shoot, I pointed at the wrong person. <laughs> you weren't in that conversation, though. No. So no. how the heck did... You come into the. That's <laughs> why <laughs> I had been probably. You pointed at him. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. No. How did you get into the Prince camp? I don't even um, know the connection. Um, nepotism. At its finest. At its finest. Well, I mean, you know. I knew your brother. Yeah. My brother, Alan, was um, Prince's road manager, office manager, chief of staff, whatever, you know. Right. And for whatever reason, this was the first project that Prince thought about using a saxophone. And um, I guess he had mentioned that to Alan just, you know, as a comment, just offhand. And Alan said to him, do you have anyone, probably asked him if he had anyone specifically in mind at that time, and apparently Prince did not. So Alan said, well, let me play you some stuff. Uh, my brother's a saxophone player. Prince heard, I to this day don't know specifically what Alan might have played for Prince. I mean, I had, you know, I had a career in music 10, 12 years already. I was, you know, grew up in Pittsburgh, but I was living in Atlanta at the time. Right. And, um... Gigging all the time. Well, gigging a bit. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I was gigging all the time in Pittsburgh. I okay. left Pittsburgh. I was kind of burned out by the bar band scene and went to all Atlanta right. just to go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, See, so yeah, I was gigging, but I mean, nothing nothing of any great import or, you know, nothing significant, just some bar band gigs around Atlanta, trying to think, trying to really decide what I wanted to do next. Right. Um, kind of betwixt in between. Um, and Alan called and said, hey, um, played the stuff for Prince, whatever it was, maybe some stuff from one of my old bands or something that maybe Alan played for him. Prince was suitably impressed, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. He told Alan, um, call your brother and, and ask him if he wants to come up to Minneapolis and um, record. Because Prince already had music for the project done. He had tracks done. Um... Well, wait a minute. You, <laughs> the fans already know this, but you weren't particularly fond of Prince. And did you even know who he was at that particular point? In time? Yeah, I, I knew he. I knew who he was simply Mainly, because of your brother. Yeah, because Alan had been working for him yeah. for over a year now. Right. Um, probably the first piece of music of Prince's that I could put his name to was the song "Controversy," and I wasn't impressed. I mean, I didn't hate it. Right, but it was not something that it it was just not the kind of music that I listened to, that was really kind of. What like, were you, you know, What were you into? Well, I mean, primary. You know, my, my primary aspiration in music was always jazz, ah. but I was also but the R and B, the pop music that I was into was strictly hardcore R and B and funk, such core. as. Well, I mean, you know, starting out particularly with James Ray Charles and James Brown, because right. I'm I'm old. I grew up in the '60s. <laughs> all right, so you know. Right, so I'll never forget. Let you forget that either. And I mean, before Alan worked for Prince, Alan was worked for James Brown in the late '60s, early '70s, and I grew up around James Brown. I knew James Brown since I was like 12 years old. Wait and, a minute, <laughs> you grew up around James Brown? Yeah, 
And your brother. Yeah. Yeah. So this is what you were weaned on. So you love James Brown. Oh yeah, yeah. As, as as far as you know, aside from from the primary jazz artists like Miles Davis, John Coltrane, yeah. Wayne Shorter, um, you know, cast like that. Um, James Brown was the other. You know, there 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 was no music in the world that I loved more. What than was James the draw Brown's. to James? What what did you dig about James? Just the groove. Okay. I mean, as much as anything else. The horn and section? I mean, everything. Maceo, what we're doing. Everything. I mean, just one of the greatest bands in the history of music. And he was, you know, by the mid-60s, he was starting to create this music that we now refer to as funk. Right. I mean, James Brown was in, and I had this wonderful opportunity. I was about, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old. And I was around him and that band while that music was being created. I mean, they would, you know, we were living in... You were in Pittsburgh then, right? Well, I was in Pittsburgh. We had okay. actually, my family lived in Richmond, Virginia for several years before that, and mm -hmm. that's where Alan began his career in radio. Right. And that's where he met so many of the, of, of the R&B. He, he, he was a DJ at the Black Radio, R&B radio station in Richmond, Virginia. And he ended up being a promoter. Right. He knew everybody. He knew Otis Redding. He knew Curtis Mayfield. He knew The Temptations. He and this Joe is Tex. a young guy. He was 17, 18 years old. That's unbelievable. He's yeah. another interview I got to do. Well, yeah. I should have done the Leeds well, Brothers it, versus the Peterson Brothers. That's well, you, coming. You, you, That's you, coming season you, you, four you and a half. You don't want us both at the same time, believe me. <laughs> you know. Can't get a word in edgewise. No, that, that's like, that's overkill. Yeah. So, yeah. But, um, but yeah, um, so having the opportunity to be around that. But James Brown was the guy. Right. More than anything else. I mean, he, 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 just what he was creating um, and just having that opportunity to, to be around that and just witness that. Because, he, you know, he would come through town um, by the time we were in Pittsburgh, you know, a couple times a year or whatever. And by the late 60s, Alan was working for him. So, I mean, whenever I was going to see James Brown, I'm, I'm backstage most of the time. And I'm hanging with James Brown in his dressing room as the show is going on and after the show. Um, and just, you, you know, James, I, I've got memories of being in a dressing room with James Brown and he would be playing for me his next record that might, maybe he had just recorded a He's couple playing weeks. it for a 12 year old kid. Hey you know, kid, I'm going to get it. You know, I'm 14, 15 years no, old. I'm not up, feeling but, it, James. Well, really that's, you know, I mean, it's, that's, that's what it was like, you know, and, wow. and, and being able to have those conversations with him. So, um, now, I mean, as as a musician, my my primary aspiration was to be a jazz musician. But, and who was your guy? Well, I, the 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 first first guy who I fell in love with on the saxophone was a guy named David Newman, who's known as Fathead. Fathead Newman. Fathead Newman. Yeah. He right. he was the primary tenor saxophone soloist for Ray Charles, late fifties, early sixties, through the you know the absolute peak of of Ray Charles's career. Hmm. Um, Fathead, you know, went on. You know, did his own albums, of course, in the years. And, right. But he was probably my absolute first love on the horn. Cannonball Adderley was also one of the, you know probably one of the two or three greatest jazz alto saxophone players. He was also also a huge, huge you know um, hero of mine. So was your brother giving you these records, or was this you my, going? My introduction to all of this music was because of my brother. Wow. Oh yeah. What for whatever reason. When Alan was about seven, eight, nine years old, he fell in love with rock and roll, but primarily R&B. So 
when I was, when Alan was like 10 years old, and I'm he's five years older than me, so mm -hmm. Alan is 10, 11 years old. When Alan was 10 or 11 years old, he wasn't subscribing to like model magazines or boys' life magazine. He was subscribing to all the music industry trade papers, God. Billboard, Cashbox, Record That's World, unbelievable. and reading them cover to cover almost every week. So my introduction to the music was because of him. Now, I'm five or six years old. I like, you know, I want to be what my big brother is into. Of course. You know. Yeah, but as the years went on, I, I decided, you know, I started to have my own distinct favorites, you know. Um, but he was into R&B. He's, he's the one who brought home the first Ray Charles record, which, you know, was my introduction into that music. Whoa. And then he was starting to get into jazz, so I got into all of that. Because your dad was a classical music lover, right? Yes, yeah. My dad loved classical symphonic music. He loved show music. He loved show tunes. Okay. But he also liked um, certain jazz artists. He loved big bands. Duke okay. Ellington, Count Basie, Stan Getz, guys like that. He, right. You know, so... That so, was his era. Yeah. 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 That was his pop music. Yeah. And um, so, I mean, I, I was I was so fortunate and blessed because I know a lot of... You were fortunate to grow up in a, mu in, in a oh, family yeah. of musicians, so it was never yeah. an issue. But I've got friends of mine... You know, uh, who are fabulous musicians today, the guys that I grew up with, whose parents were like, you know, when are you going to get a real job? Oh, yeah. You know, I've interviewed a lot of those exactly. guys. I was blessed that my parents only wanted me to succeed in what I wanted to do. Isn't that something, man? And, yeah. That's my, my, a, that's... I mean, my, my dad was a businessman. He was a retail right. merchant. Um, you know, CEO of, of huge department stores and everything. So he, he you know, so he was a businessman. Right. But he, he realized that, you know, and he would have loved it if I had said, Papa, I'm going to, I want to follow, you know, go into business. He would have loved that. I'm sure. Yeah. You know, or, or anything That's what else. any father. Yeah. Or, yeah. or, or, or a lawyer. Let me show you the ropes, kid. Yeah, exactly. Or if I want to be a lawyer or something like that. But knowing that I was falling in love with this music and, and by the time I was probably in high school that I really made a decision that this is what I wanted to pursue as a career. Yeah. He was basically all and he says, just, just, he said, you're going to go to school? I said, yeah, I want to go, so go to school, do it right. And Tell it. these guys the story yeah. of you going and getting your saxophone with your dad in New York. Oh, well, that was, um, I, I had, my, my first saxophone that I played for several years was actually an alto saxophone. I wanted to be a tenor man, but the tenor was too big for me when I was a little kid. <laughs> I could barely lift the damn yeah. thing. So I switched to alto and played alto, which is a smaller horn. But um, after having played alto for maybe five, six, seven years or whatever, I had fallen in love with the baritone saxophone, uh, which of course is huge, you know, big right. horn. Um, and my, I had an uncle in New York who was a saxophone player who had played with um, Perry Como's oh. orchestra. If you don't know Perry Como is, sorry, but I mean... Look him up. Yeah. I mean... Great crooner of the yeah, 30s, I mean, 40s. And, and into the 50s and, and even 60s. Ah. He, he had an NBC um, variety show from the mid-50s to the early 60s that was one of the, you know, probably top-rated mm -hmm. weekly shows. And, and my uncle was in the orchestra, the, the Mitchell Ayers Orchestra, which was Perry Como's orchestra. So anyway, um, I called my uncle in New York and, and asked him because he was hooked up with all the music stores. So I could get maybe like get a discount or get get a better price because right. my uncle, you know, was mm -hmm. hooked up. Say he'd say the word and you'd get a few yeah. percentage so I, off or whatever. I, I, I told my uncle, now I'm a, I'm a junior in high school and I called my uncle and I said, I am ready to buy 
a baritone saxophone. With your own money? With my own money. I'd save my little allowance over the years. You know, this is... Yeah, because your dad could have bought that for you, but you... Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I wanted... This is something I wanted to do for yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had enough money that I thought, you know, I could be ready. And, and, you know, I knew what I wanted. I wanted a Selmer Mark VI, which was the top pro saxophone at the time. For a junior in high school? For junior high school. So my uncle called back a few days later, and he said um, there, there was a music store in, in New York at the time, Ponte's Music, long gone, but that was one of the meccas for horn and woodwind players okay. in New York. Um, he said, I called Charles Ponte, who he knew, and he said, they have one in stock, um, and this is the price that I can get you for it. And I was like, cool. Right. I, I got it covered. Um, my dad was actually in New York, going to New York the next week on business. And he said, um, why don't we do this? We'll, I'll stay over the weekend. I'll fly you up on a Saturday morning. We'll go look at the horn. If you want it, you'll buy it. That's it. Ship it home. Yeah, ship it home. Um, cool. So Saturday morning came. My dad stayed over. I, I flew up the next morning. He picked me up at the airport. We went, had lunch, went to, and, and I played this brand new baritone that I just immediately fell in love with and was, you know, I mean, literally 10 minutes. Cool. Wrap it up. Here's where, you know. Um, Mr. Ponte shows me another horn. Right. Yeah. Uh. That was um, also made by Selmer, but it was a secondhand horn. It was an older horn. And I looked at the thing and I said, well, that horn looks used. And he said, well, it is. And I said, I looked at him and I said, Mr. Ponte, I have this brand new horn that I'm ready to buy. Why are you showing me this used horn? And he just said, play it. That's all he said. So I played the other horn. Short story, the other horn was a magnificent horn that had been custom built, apparently, Mm. for a particular client, maybe years. I really don't know much of the history beyond that. But it was a fabulous horn. And that's when I bought it. And today, that is the baritone that I have. You still own that? Still own that horn. That's the one that's appeared on all oh, the records. Yeah, yeah. And, and anyone that and you bought that it is, when you were seventeen. Um, not even. Not even seventeen. Um, uh, seventeen. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I, I think I think I just turned seventeen. As a matter of fact. Yeah. Now, of course, my dad, God bless him, as soon as you know, he was going to write a check, and then I was going to then you know I'd reimburse my dad when he got home. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, he said, "Don't worry about it." You know. Now. In any other circumstance, maybe, but I would have said, okay, that's cool. That's it, you know. But I had the money for this, and this is something that I had been looking forward for years to be able. And and this was, you know, I was was extraordinarily blessed to grow up in in a family that um, I wanted for nothing. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. I I mean, extremely fortunate beyond that. but I wanted this, so this is really one of my first opportunities to purchase something of value and significance because this was something that was not only represented something that I could buy, but this was what I was going to do to pursue my career with. So I needed to have ownership of this. Was that a pinnacle moment yeah. for you, even in your decision making? That this is, I'm definitely doing this for a living. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Pr- so pretty that much. was it. You yeah, were like, pretty- this is on me, Dad. Yeah. Yeah. And and it was like you know when I got wow. home I, I gave him the money for that and that's you know that was that's that's big 
Yeah, it is. You know, now, I mean, you, you know, and that hardly pays him back for all of the. Oh, sure. <laughs> you know, and yeah, but that's that, parental that stuff. Well, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, they bought me my first alto. Right. You know, so which I still have today. I still have that horn. I still have my alto. I don't play well though. I put it away, and it's in <laughs> mothballs for a reason. I actually, I actually, I, I my alto is in mothballs too because I play tenor and baritone. I'm not an alto player, but I still have it. So yeah. you were growing up. Yeah. With your brother, how do you become the musician and he becomes the music lover? Well, that's interesting because Alan actually, when he was in, I think, fifth or sixth grade, he wanted to be in, in the elementary school band and be a drummer. Okay. But immediately he just wanted to be able to have a drum kit and play. Right. You know, and, and the music teacher said, gave him two drumsticks and a little practice pad. Mm. And Alan basically said, well, where's the drum kit? Right. And he said, no, this is all you get. And he said, no, the hell with that. And so that, that was the end of Alan's music career. Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. Um, but the funny thing is, is Alan probably has um, musical ex a, a musical sensibility that is greater than many, if not most, musicians that I know, is his ability to understand music from the perspective of almost being a musician. And his, Do you think his, that's because you know, of your influence on him? Obviously, he has the influence on you, but I, musically, you must have an influence on him. Maybe. You must. But, but I, I, I think he was going to be that anyway. Yeah, I think just, you know, I, I Probably think didn't Hoyt to have you I, as a brother. Well, maybe not, you know. But, I mean, I mean the, the, the reality is, is, is that if my brother had not been into the music to the degree that he was, I don't know that I would have been. You might have been that salesman. Yeah, might have gone in some or become yep, a lawyer or whatever, or, or whatever yeah. else. Yeah, or just become a train engineer, which is the only other thing. That That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. What is it with yeah. you and trains, by I, the way? I, I I really don't know. Where did that start? Well, apparently, my I, I do know that my grandfather, on my mother's side, did have an interest in railroads, not to the degree that I did, and maybe it was I don't know. You know, I I really don't know. But your fascination is far beyond. Oh a, no! A, a, it's a passion. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm. The um, guy's house. Yeah. Is full of music books, LPs, tapes, uh, magazines about trains. Yeah. Books and books and about books trains. About, yeah. And and baseball. Oh, I mean, those, those excuse are, me. Those are and baseball. Music, baseball, and and trains. Yeah. That pretty much. That's that's an interesting comb combination there, Mister Leeds. I suppose it is. It is. Yeah. Anyway. All right, back to your family growing up. You're following around your brother. He's he's promoting. He's with James Brown. Yeah. This you move on. You've got your horn. You graduate. You go to college. You went to yeah Duquesne University School of Music in Pittsburgh. I didn't graduate. I went full time for two years. How did that go over? Well, um, not bad. Yeah, really? You know, well, yeah, because. Um, I was in the music education degree in order to get a degree to become a music teacher, which wasn't what you didn't I wanted that. to do that. No. But the reason that was a fallback? I, reason I, well, it could have been. Right. But the reason I actually went into the, that, that degree program at Duquesne University was it enabled me to take the classes that I wanted to take that I wouldn't have had the ability to take if I was, say, in the other degree program, which was a conservatory. Ah. I wanted to, because I wanted to write and arrange beside being just a, a player. And if you're in, in the education uh, degree program, you're in the classes, the brass methods class. I mean, my, the junior year, or, or I'm sorry, the sophomore year, 
I was playing trumpet for a semester. And another semester, I have three weeks of playing trombone, oh, three weeks man. of playing French horn, tuba, euphony, euphonian, and all of those instruments. The things you learned 35 years after meeting Well, in, in, in Woodwind's class, I mean, obviously, I, I already played clarinet a little bit, so that was, you know, but I was learning to play um, bassoon, oboe, wow. flute, all of those. Now, the reason that you have those classes, because if you are going to be a music teacher, in, say, an elementary school or high school, you have to have at least some basic knowledge sure. of the instruments because you're maybe the only teacher for, like, a kid that's just starting out. Mm -hmm. So even if you're not really proficient on the instrument, you have to be able to show them the basic fingering system and right. have a basic idea of what get, yeah. how to produce a sound. I was, I was interested in it because I wanted to have an, some sort of understanding of what the instrument could maybe do or not do that would maybe help me as a writer and an arranger. And I was just fascinated. I, yeah. I was just, it was just so much fun for me, even though I'm a saxophone player, to be carrying around a trumpet for, for, you know, for a few months. Did you ever play to, any of that no. stuff on a gig? No. Okay. No. You no. weren't that brave? No. Or you weren't that good? No. All, all of that. <laughs> all of the above. Yeah. Um, flute became, you know, one of my, one of my instruments, one yep. of my doubles or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm hardly what I would call a real proficient flute player, but... I can use the instrument to the degree that I use it, and because I'm I'm, use, I'm using flute in circumstances that I'm creating, mm -hmm. I know what I can do and what I can't do with the instrument. So you're right for whatever you can. Your what, ability is exactly. I got you exactly. Right. Um, the same way, basically, my you know at the same time when you're in uh, in a music school, and I, I suppose it's probably this way for most music schools, but it was at Duquesne University. My major instrument was saxophone. My minor instrument, if your if your minor instrument, or I'm sorry, if your major instrument is anything other than piano, mm. your minor instrument has to be piano. Smart. Yeah. But tell these guys why. Well, basically, your opinion. Why? Ba basically, because. The piano is probably the easiest way by which you can um, understand harmony and theory and sight reading and all of that. And basically saying that the most basic instrument, particularly in, in, in classical music or, or just basic music, learn how to play piano. The first thing I would tell anybody that wants to become a musician, regardless of what their instrument of choice is, Learn some piano, just right. to be able to sit and and understand. It's a communication device. Yes, yes. it all, is. All of the writing that I do have done in, in my career, arranging everything, I do at the piano. Even when I'm writing a song that might have you know a melody that I know I'm going to be playing on saxophone, nine times out of ten, I whatever I create, I create at the piano, and only then do I then pick up the horns and we'll just we'll just work on the horn. <laughs> You know, other times when it's like, uh, no, yeah, it's, or or they make those adjustments. But as far as it's just, I I don't know. I mean, now basically, if I had to do it all over again as a musician, yeah, piano would be my major instrument. No kidding. Yeah, I I really would love. I mean, you play I, great piano. Well, man. I, 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 you do. Well, You've got great I, ideas. You even now look. We've done a whole record together, and don't let them lie to you. He plays great piano. Well, you know, I, I don't have pianistic technique. I don't have the hand independence for, you know, counterpoint and all of that stuff. But you comp really well. Yeah, with, within, 
within the basic, you know, limitations of the music, once again, if I'm doing something or writing something that I know I can play piano on, it's because I know this is what I can do. Uh-huh. Versus somebody like your brother, well, even you, your brother, obviously, yeah. well, Ricky Peterson, sure. who is, you know, that's what I would really love to be. Me too. You know. I've always wanted to be my brother. Yeah, I mean, you know, other than... Other than, you know, those saxophone players, trumpet players, and horn players, that they're my heroes, but so many of my heroes are pianists right. or keyboard Miles players. Played. Miles played. Miles plays some keyboard, but um, Joe Zavinul, who was the co-leader oh, of see. Weather yeah. Report. Keith Jarrett is probably mm. one of my absolute favorite musicians mm. across the board. Um, Chick Corea, of course. Yeah. Herbie Hancock, you know, Bill Evans, Wynton Kelly. I mean, all of these guys were piano players. Right. For me, the the... the my ability to create music or conceive and conceptualize music comes from the harmony pretty much before anything else. And because the piano is a harmonic instrument, everything that I can kind of conceive of comes from that. Right. You know, which is one of the reasons that I think we have been, at least musically, into my way of thinking so successful is your harmonic vocabulary and mine seem to really work well together they do you know the thing yeah. is is that we, we expand each other we have like i think a core area where we're kind of at a home base well you're schooled and i'm not Let's yeah but that's but, but 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 that's what makes it so fascinating for me because um you're not schooled but if i didn't know better i would say you were <laughs> That's mom's fault, well, Ricky's fault, and Billy's fault, and Patty's fault. Absolutely, and fault. but beyond That's that, beyond fault. that core kind yeah. of central, you know, position where we know where we can build from, you're going to go in a completely different direction True. than where I'm going to go. And that complements actually. absolutely because we found that out. The, the, one of one of the most wonderful things about making music for me is if, if I have an idea or, or a particular, whether it's a particular song or just a particular idea about how to conceive of something musically, um, I've done a lot of music on, you know, just on my own, you know, previous albums where I'm basically the only one in there who's making the final decisions right. and production decisions. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. And, mm-hmm. and I'm certainly proud and, and very satisfied with a lot. But when you have somebody that you're constantly answering to, you know, basically, mm-hmm. which is what we do with each other with our LP project, which we'll, you know, get into. What LP project? Well, that this one right LP there. project? Yeah. Oh, look at that. Yeah. No words. No words. No words. So, oh, the, I like you, this. You know, I can come up with an idea and just throw it out there, and you can come in something that complements that, and I'll sit and I say, well, that's exactly what I would have done, except I didn't. <laughs> you <laughs> and did. And vice versa. Yeah, you did. And it's like, wow, Paul did exactly what I wanted to do with it, but I didn't know that until you showed me. It was basically like, Eric, this is exactly what you want to do with this. <laughs> I don't know if it was quite that uh, confident, but but but, that's, but it worked. Yeah, but that's the way it works. So yeah. be, you've gone through, you bought your saxophone, you've toured, you lived in uh, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, you moved yeah. to Atlanta. Yeah. Let's pick up the story again. Your brother calls you. He calls me and says, okay, and Prince. Come on to yeah. Minneapolis. Yeah. And he so says. We're back that, in 1984 80, now. Yeah, this is 84. We're going to take a little break from the interview right now because I want to tell you about a couple of really cool things. 
First of all, we're having so much fun with our weekly one-minute funk jams called Funk Friday. We've had so many world-class musicians on Funk Friday, including members of the Steve Miller Band, Fleetwood Mac, Daryl Hall and John Oates, Earth, Wind & Fire, just to name a few. You can check that out on all of our social media, but you can also see it on our YouTube channel. I also want to take this opportunity to thank all of our members who have supported us on Patreon. Don't know what Patreon is? Go to www.patreon.com forward slash music on the run podcast. And there you'll get all sorts of information on how you can financially help us produce this podcast. There are all kinds of incentives listed there on the website, and there are many different levels on how you can become involved. We could not put on this podcast without our patrons. All right, let's get back to the interview. Let's pick up the story again. Your brother calls you. He calls me and says, okay, and Prince. Come on to yeah. Minneapolis. Yeah. And he so says. We're back that, in 1984 80, now. Yeah, this is 84. Okay. Um, Alan explained what had happened at Prince's, you know, that the time was breaking or, or, or that he was putting this new band together, the project he was going to call The Family. I assume at that time he had already put a name. Did, did, had he told you when he said you're going to be the lead singer, did he at that point say it's going to be called The Family? Do you recall? Not my recollection. Okay. So, but then it was a need-to-know basis at that point in time for me. Well, the thing is, I, I, I don't recall specifically whether there was a name for the project yet when mm -hmm. I came up. Maybe there was. Did he send you a cassette to learn no. something or nothing? No, okay. no. I, 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 in fact, this is, this is what happened. Um, now, the thing was, Alan, it, it took Alan a few weeks to even convince me that this is something I should do. Oh, that, that's right, because you weren't particularly fond of Yeah, I, 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 I liked, you know, I didn't care much for controversy. I'd heard a few other things. 1999, I liked the song 1999. I bought the album 1999 and listened to it maybe once or twice, and really there wasn't anything else on that album that particularly look, well, let me spoke ask to you me. Something. Did you, does the reason you didn't like him because you saw him being a James Brown-esque artist, and you were like, I already dealt with the James Brown. Probably. I already knew James Brown, and he ain't James Brown. Well, that might have been part of it subliminally. The, the fact was is that it was hardcore funk, George Clinton, Bootsy Collins, that's, you know, which was the next step from James Brown. Right. So, so through the 70s and all of that, the thing was is that Prince is, while Prince certainly has the funk side of him, oh, yeah. he also has a very hardcore, more of a rock and roll and pop music that's, side of that's him. That's very true. Because he was an extremely eclectic musician. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's not the music I listen to. So I would listen to some of that stuff and say, well, well, it's funky, but it ain't really that. It ain't George. It ain't George. Yeah. I mean, really, it was like I was so just focused. It's not funny. You know, if, if basically for the, yeah, if it wasn't George Clinton or Bootsy or, or Kid Creole and the Coconuts, which right. is the other band that right. I was like falling in love with at that point. And, and the Isley Brothers, still in a cast like that, it, said it was like, eh, it's, it's too pop. It's just too. So he convinced you. Well. And here you come. Well, basically, you know, the. There's an old there's an old joke about oh, oh. no here it, we go well okay um, <laughs> like I say I I'm in Atlanta but I'm really not doing much yeah and I was really at a point in my career where while jazz was what I really wanted to do I did not feel that I possessed the necessary skill set 
or at least on a level that would have enabled me to say, just say, okay, I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to dive into the cesspool of jazz musicians in New York, and that's really? where I'm going to find fame and fortune. I was not confident in my ability to have been able to be successful at that point in time. Interesting. Yeah. Most, while I've done many jazz gigs, but most of my gigs were funk and R&B gigs and the bands that I had because that's how I could earn a living. So you switched, you switched genres. You still love jazz, was, but yeah, you're making a, a living playing funk. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. Yeah. I was overqualified as a saxophone player from what was necessary for me to play funk music, and I was still a little underqualified for playing the jazz to the level that, that I thought was going to be necessary. Also, my real aspiration was always to just be primarily a band leader. Hmm. And it's a little difficult to come out and say, I'm a band leader until you've got kind of like a resume. Right. Well, you, you know. weren't taking names. Well, yeah, but there was a local band, and, right. and you know, I, could, I was a band leader. But, I mean, if you're going to go to New York, you don't go to New York and just say, here I am, I'm a band leader. You know, yeah, you, but, pace, ah, yeah, you are, huh? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. You know, so I really was at a point in time now, you know, playing, playing bar bands all during the years when, when, when I was in my 20s, and you're really just making enough to barely pay my rent at the end of the month. I can pay oh. my bills, and if I got 50 bucks in my bank account, I'm lucky. You're paying your dues. Yeah. And that's okay, but when you're now in your early 30s, which I was, it's like, you know, I, only, I actually want to have a lifestyle Yeah. that's, you know, a little more solid than that. Mm -hmm. And for what I'm capable and interested in music, am I ever going to be able to be able to have that being the musician that I am right now? And the answer to me was, I don't think so. Crossroads, baby. Yeah. So Ooh. I was really, you know, it was the first time in my life, you know, that I'm thinking maybe music is something I just need to go on to try to do something else. Oh. You know, I mean, it was that, you know. Now, the only problem was <laughs> I had no skill or background or, or experience in any other Oh yeah. Idea. So anyway, so the thing is, so here comes Alan calling me. So I'm really just I'm just really just in Atlanta, just just gigging, just mm -hmm. spinning spinning my wheels. Right. Getting, you know. So Alan calls me and said, Okay, um, Prince invited you to come up to, to do a recording session. My basic idea was, well, there's nothing about really Prince other than a few songs of his that I've heard that I like. Mm -hmm. But there was nothing about it that said, Oh my God. This is going to be my salvation. Oh my God! I this I've died and gone to heaven. I'm going to be able to play music with Prince. That wouldn't even didn't even enter the conversation. So the the joke I'm talking about is that there's an old joke about a flood. The 500 year flood is coming into a community. So all the authorities are warning the community evacuate now because by this time tomorrow, you're all going to be dead if you don't you know, evacuate. Right. So they get everybody out of the community except one guy who says, no, I'm going to be okay. The Lord is going to look after me and I'll be fine. So they said, okay. The water starts to, rains come, the water starts to rise. They come back. Now they're in a canoe because this guy, the water is up to the second level of this guy's house. He's hanging out the second story window and they got a canoe and they said, jump in the boat now and we'll still take care of you. He said, no, I'm fine. God is going to look after me, take care of everyone else. I'll be fine. They come back five hours later. He's now on the roof of his house. The water's up to there. They got a helicopter above him with a bullhorn. We're going to send you down a rope, grab the rope. This is your last chance. And he looks up and says, I'm fine. 
Lord will let, look after me. Helicopter says, okay. Two days later, the guy's now at the pearly gates. Ah. And he's pissed because he looked at God, you know, and says, I thought you were going to take care of me. And God looks at him and says, I sent you a car. <laughs> I sent you a boat. I sent you a helicopter. What do you want from me? What do you want for nothing? That's basically what my brother's doing. For two weeks, he's on the phone sending me a car, ah. sending me a, a boat, sending me a helicopter, and I'm he's saying, you know, you. I just don't know if this is this guy, you know, what, 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 what is this going to be about? Mm -hmm. You know? Finally, I just, it dawned on me, you know something? It's a gig. Yep. I'm going to go to Minneapolis. I'm going to do a recording session with this guy. He'll put some money in my pocket, and that might be the end of it. Right. You know. You had no idea what to expect. No illusions, no yep. expectations about it anything. It was a gig. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, however, now Alan was telling me, well, he really, really loves the way you play on, the, on, on what I play for. Now, I don't know if that was Alan just trying to mm -hmm. pump me up. So, and even if, even if Prince really was digging whatever it was that he had heard of me on, on recordings or, or whatever Alan had played for him, that still doesn't necessarily guarantee that once you get in the recording studio that it works. You know, right. maybe, maybe I could have come in there and, and played the music really well as far as my perspective. And maybe Prince, he has every right to say to me, he said, Eric, I appreciate you coming. It's really cool, but I'm not sure this is what I'm looking for. Yeah. You know, which is But that what, didn't happen. Fortunately, it didn't. Now, on the other hand, if I had done the session and really thought, boy, this is some boring-ass shit. This is just, you know, take a paycheck and just go home, you know, um, that might have been the end of it. Fortunately, I enjoyed it. More importantly, he, he did. He enjoyed it. He enjoyed it. Right. But even at that, it was like we did four songs that were on the family album. As far as I know, he puts a check in my pocket and says, oh, this, this was worth it for me to come up. Right. You know. Um, Good time was had by all. He's happy, yes. you're happy, now, you go I'm, home. I'm hanging around with Alan. I hadn't seen Alan for like a year. So I'm saying, you know, I'm going to hang with Alan, just have some fun. Um, my mother, coincidentally, was from St. Paul. So I have cousins and an aunt and uncle ah. that lived in, Minnesota, in, in Twin Cities that I hadn't seen in years. So I said, you know, that was really as much the reason that I came up as anything else. I said, you know, they're going to fly me up. I'll get a time, spend some time with Alan and his girlfriend, now his wife, Gwen. Um, I'll see my aunt and uncle, some cousins I haven't seen. I'm going to have a great time. And oh, yeah, it's going to pay for me because I'm going to do this session. And that really was the whole extent of, of my thought process. Right. So um, I'm hanging in town. Um, a week later... I, uh, Alan said Prince wanted to know if you were still in town. I said, well, obviously I am. He said, he's got another song for you. Don't want to Which come was? Um, you remember? Not, nothing compares to you, <laughs> as a matter of fact. Yeah. Of course, he. I'm telling you, he knows everything. He remembers everything. Well, I also wrote things down. Did you? Yes. Had you, you journaled? Yes. I, ah. I, yeah, yeah. Now, mainly, I, you know, just not only for my own ego, I will document my own life. No one else is going to. You doc I know why you documented. <laughs> well, another one is said, yeah, this is when I did that session. Did I get paid? Yes, I got paid. Yep. For everything is still business. Hey, that's a businessman, yeah. though. So, nothing um, wrong with that. So, anyways, so we did those. And then I, w I hung around for a couple more weeks. We, we did one other song one evening, uh, Feline. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, and then I went, then I went back to Atlanta. For how long? Well, I was there for the rest of the summer. 
Okay. Because you know, this this was in July of um, now you gotta understand, Purple Rain was just coming out. Mm-hmm. The um, the first single when Doves Cry had just come out. Right. The premiere for the movie was a few weeks after we did these sessions. So I was back home in Atlanta. Prince is now out in LA with the you know you know, and they're getting ready to gear up for what was going to be the Purple Rain mm-hmm. tour. So he's got bigger fish to fry. You know, I mean, he's he's ready to all of a sudden enter into the period of his career that is going to be unlike anything he had ever experienced. Right. Before or since, really. Right. My basic attitude is, that, okay, here's this project that I've done these recording sessions for, but I, 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 I guess I was under the understanding, I don't know if you, you know, you were at that point, that the plan was that this album was not going to be released until the next year. So we're doing this recording for it in like the summer of 84, but it was my understanding that the earliest this album was going to be released was sometime in 1985. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, you know, that's six, seven, eight months from now. That gives a lot of time for Prince to just either lose interest in this or just, you know, say, oh, the hell with that. Yeah, I'll get around to that, whatever. So I had no, you know, feelings that any of this was guaranteed. So I, you know, I did a bunch of recording sessions. I got home. I went to Atlanta, and it was basically whatever happens next happens next. Yeah, you know. So I, I think I came back up here here in October. I think it was while they were um, on a break, right? They were they were in production rehearsals okay. for the tour because I think their tour was starting the next month, and I just came up for a few days to hang with Alan and ended up doing another session mm. with Prince because it was you know. In fact, that's that's when I first met Susanna, because I had not met her yet. Interesting. Yeah, and met you when you know the previous summer, but only for like in passing, really. In passing. Yeah. Yeah, because you were just coming into the studio, starting to do your vocal tracks on it with David and, and Jellybean mostly, and right. Prince yeah. occasionally. Yeah. Yeah, because the tracks that when when I was all the recording that I had done up to that point on on the on the tracks it was Prince's scratch vocal. Sure. That would that, be delivered you know. to this house, and I would learn them in this basement. Yeah, That's, yeah. which is crazy. Yeah, yeah. So I, so I mean, you, you know, my my, the nature of of my relationship with with Prince, and and and, and then you know, subsequently becoming a member of his band later, mm-hmm. um, was not predicated on my feeling that oh my god this is you know this is the i love this music more than anything in the world i can think of no other musician it was like this is a gig and realizing okay the way this is this is progressing and my involvement this is going to be a good place for me to be right for my career or for whatever and the fact that regardless you know all the years that that, that I worked with Prince, and and because I played an instrument that he didn't play, mm. which True. gave me the opportunity to you know over the years um, he let you be you, which is uncanny. Well, no, he well, did certainly to a greater degree, only because he could not take my instrument from me and say this is how to do this. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and I don't care how great the musician, I don't care if it was Wendy Melvoin who has, as a guitar player, has aspects of, of, of playing the guitar uh, harmonic vocabulary the Prince never had. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. um, other aspects that Lisa had, 
uh, the keyboard player that Matt Fink was and, mm -hmm. and all the musicians that, that he may have had in his bands over the years. But he still had the ability to take all of those instruments and say, no, for this song, I need you to do this. And here it is, and then give it back to him. He could not do that with me or with any of the other horn players. You know, my section mate, Matt Bliston, right. or, or Mike Nelson and the Hornheads that played with him years later, and even Maceo Parker, I mean, I was, you know, played with him years later. How's he going to tell right. Maceo, you know? Um, so certainly it, 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 it gave me an opportunity to um, have more of an individual voice in his music. Boy, did you ever. Well, the... Well, fortunately, for, for whatever reason, what, whatever it was about who I am as a musician already was as a he saxophone player. Well, he did. Well, he, he dug did. It. No, he did. And but you're so okay. I'm but the, but once again, there's no guarantee that you, you know. I mean, he could have just said, "All I need you to do, and you're great for you know, do horn parts, horn arrangements." But he did create a role for me in his live band when I became a member of his band to be mm -hmm. like the primary instrumental voice to him because if if during the, the the main tours that i did with him in 1986 the sign of the times tour in 87 the love sexy tour in 88 and 89 if somebody in the audience really wasn't a fan of the saxophone they were in for a long night right you know because literally um there was there was a one tour in 86 that we did which was known as the parade tour it wasn't really we really just did a bunch of gigs in the states and went to europe and japan um and on that show, Prince hardly played any guitar. Now, here's somebody who's like an iconic, you know, funk lead guitar player. Lead guitar yes, player. And absolutely. on that show, he hardly played any guitar. So if there was a solo, a, 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 an instrumental solo, it was me. Wendy had a solo on a couple of things. Matt Fink might have had a solo here and there. But, right. I mean, it was like every other song. Here comes Eric Leeds. And, you know, and it continued on that through, through the other tours. So it was like, <laughs> you know, I mean, once. But you became such an important part of that Ensemble, man. I mean, that particular uh, point in his career, that 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 three or four was it three or four yeah, years? Yeah, three or four years. Yeah, you were that yeah. voice. Well, yeah, I and was, you became yeah. an iconic part of of who he was, which allowed you to do different things. Now, look, we've already talked about the family. If you have or, or F Deluxe, if you if you missed that, go back. I'm not sure what episode it is. Because we only have about twenty more minutes left, and I want, I want to move on to things such as playing with Prince yeah. and beyond. Yeah. So describe your. You and I are are friends for thirty five years. We we it, it, just go check out the episode. It'll talk about all the family stuff. Yeah. We don't need to do that here. Your time with Prince. You well, well, here, here's what my point was: is is that. Prince said this once to somebody, and wasn't me, strangely enough, but it said somebody in a rehearsal once, just to yeah. make it clear, and something that I certainly understood and felt from, from day one. Prince wasn't paying me to love his music. He was paying me to play it. Ooh. And that really came, you know, and, and that was really for everybody. Now, there are musicians that played with Prince over the years that, like I said, thought they had died and gone to heaven because Prince John was like... Blackwell. The, John Blackwell, mm -hmm. many of the guys from the early revolution or whatever sure. who grew up in this context. Absolutely. So they had an emotional connection, oh, yeah. not only with the music, but with the persona of Prince, mm. that entity that I never had. And, and 
there were many musicians over the years that kind of came in from the same perspective. You know, other musicians that would say, wow, I've got an opportunity to play with Prince. You know, it's not something that I ever really thought about. Right. But it's a wonderful opportunity to play with an absolute brilliant, remarkable musician mm -hmm. that can be interesting not only for my resume, yeah. but can be interesting just for the idea of being able to play music with somebody of that caliber. That's so true. that's what I learned. Because basically, you know, people say, well, this guy Prince is like, he's a fabulous, fabulous musician. But I'm not listening to his music in the early, you know, originally and in, in, in seen. All I'm hearing is said, yeah, here's some, well, you know, a song like Little Red Corvette is an absolutely masterful piece of pop songwriting and craftsmanship. And intellectually, I can recognize that. Of course. But at the end of the day, it doesn't mean dictum. Excuse me. It doesn't mean, you know... <laughs> You know, because that's not the kind of music I listen to. Yeah. You know, it's just not, you know, so I didn't have that emotional investment with that. Mm. So my point is, is that I have, I did over that period of time, three, four, five year period of time, I did over 175 recording sessions with Prince. For How many variety. saw the light of day? Probably only about 10%. Okay. You know, maybe 15%. You know, so much of it is just stuff that he was on, ongoing. Mm. Um, Prince never, Prince, you know, Prince wasn't asking, and, and most of, many of most of those sessions with my section mate, Matt Bliss, and a trumpet player, was known to the Prince fans as Atlanta Bliss. That mm -hmm. was his moniker. Prince didn't ask us to come in. It was our job. Right. I need you guys in the studio at 8 o'clock tonight. Or we'd get a call from my brother or somebody else in the office. Prince needs you for a session. Or maybe we'd be in rehearsals all day, and Prince would say to us, "I need you guys to hang out. We're going. You know, I got to go in the studio right now. Can y'all come in with me in the studio? You know." Now, sometimes you know there were days like that. I'd get a call maybe eleven at night, and somebody said, "You know, Prince is in the studio and needs you to come out." And it was like, you know, I really do not feel like doing that. <laughs> Yep. You know, yep. I, I, I'm, I'm watching a ball game or I'm watching David Letterman or I'm yep. watching a movie or I'm reading a book or something or I'm listening to Miles right. or Coltrane. And mm -hmm. I said, listen, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, but it was my job. I mean, now, I, it did get to the point that after the years, I had an answering machine by then. Oh, and yeah. it was like... You are screening? The, oh, for days, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So it was like, sorry, Prince, I just wasn't home last night. I um, you know? can come out. Yeah, yeah. but... But the point was, going into the studio, Prince isn't saying to us, hey, I got a new song. I'd love for you guys to put horns on it. Would you like to put some horns on it? Mm. I'd love for you to put some horns on it. Right. You know, that wasn't, it was like, here's a song, get in and get your horns on, let's go. Right. You know. That was a gig. Yeah. And at the end of the day, now, Prince was obviously, it's his music, and he was somebody that was always going to be very enthusiastic about oh, what course. it was that he was doing. And his enthusiasm can become infectious at times. Of course. But we realized that it was to our interest to want to, like, share, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's not really what we felt at the time. And occasionally there might be a song, and I'd listen to, well, that's a cool song, I really like this, you know. Right. But I had no expectation about it. And he wasn't asking us at the end of the session, what do you, you like think? this? Yeah, yeah. what you think? No. It was no. like, see you tomorrow. All that was, you know, basically it was all I was concerned about was he happy. Right. Because he's the one signing the check. That's your relationship. That's it the relationship. Was that. Yeah. 
Yeah. So at the end of the, you know, now what what made it work for me is, you know, from from a standpoint of being musically fulfilled or satisfied or mm -hmm. interested was the fact that it's still the process was interesting. Just right. as a musician, right. to be able to be a part of his musical process, whatever that was, could be very, very interesting. And the fact that he was the one determining the value of what we did. Oh, yeah. Was and he did value it. Absolutely. Absolutely. No question. And, 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 and just from, from... Now, first of all, you want your boss to be happy with of what course. you're doing. You want your boss to... Be, because the only person that had the right to determine the value of anyone who played whatever anybody in his bands is him. Very true. When I was standing on stage with him on gigs playing in front of 10, 12, 15,000 people, that wasn't my audience. Yep. I was on stage every night. There was, I had an audience of one, and that was Prince. Right. That was the only person that I was playing for. Right. You know, because at the end of the day, to whatever extent that anybody in the audience may think of, of any value you know, oh boy, I like that saxophone solo you played on that. That's fine. But the only reason you get to hear that or even have an opinion is because Prince allowed you to hear it. Did you enjoy your time with Prince? Basically, yes. Now, like anything else, or like a lot of things, there, there is a scale, if you're going to look at the balance of things. Knowing going into it that there are always going to be aspects of particularly any gig, but particularly somebody that, like Prince, and the specifics of what, the showbiz aspects of it, right? to me, was either an annoyance or an absurdity. But I understood, you know, the fact of some of the outfits that I had to wear on stage and some of the... Do we have pictures? Yeah, yeah. I hated doing videos. Did you? Yes. Mainly because I don't like the hours, because you had to be up early in the morning. <laughs> I can attest to that, yeah. by the way. But the whole process of that, I, I couldn't stand. Hmm. But it's part of the gig. From the musical standpoint of, like I say, being the most important thing, you know, obviously the fact that he was giving me such an opportunity to play even to the degree of... of you know what the music entailed um meant something to me of course mm -hmm. it did um aside from just my ego but just the fact that you know if all i'm going to be doing every you know for two hours and is just playing little parts mm. that really don't challenge you from a from a, a standpoint of playing the instrument that's going to get boring right you know um for the first year year and a half like i said being part of his process was interesting because it was still figuring out how he works right. and the limits and extent to, to which, you, you know, the different options. After the first year, year and a half, it started, the, the gig and my role in it started to become pretty defined. Hmm. So basically by then I said, okay, I know how this works. I know how to do this. And then it starts to become just business as usual. So it then starts to become a little bit more boring. Except for the fact that he allowed you not you did Madhouse, which was really his project. Yeah. We don't have to spend much time on that. Yeah. But he allowed you and gave you the freedom to do two records for yeah. Paisley, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's some perks here. Yeah. Here's here's the thing. When I came up to Minneapolis the very first time in July of eighty four, 
like I said, no expectations, no illusions about what this was going to be, about whether it's something I was really going to be wanting to be a part of, more importantly, what his decisions would be. Somewhere in the back of my mind, way back in fantasy land, is, okay, what is the best case scenario that could come out of me being involved with somebody who isn't necessarily something that I, no, at that point it was just the family mm-hmm. because, you know, beyond that, there was, you know, never occurred to me there was any expectation or illusion that I'd ever become a part of his band. Of course. So it was like, I'm going to be a part of a group that might have a hit record. What happened if this, you know, what would happen if this record actually became a hit right. and went on to do several albums, you know, over a period of time and all of a sudden, I'm just waiting. This is fantasy land. I'm thinking like, okay, maybe this is to find the first opportunity on a bigger stage, you know, besides just being a, a member even of a very popular but local bar band. Here is now maybe an opportunity that down the line I can leverage if I can get some kind of a positive reputation and a resume that maybe the circumstance comes a few years from now or whatever, I can then say to somebody, this is what I want to do or what I can do. Will somebody listen to that and say, you know, I'm hearing what you're doing in family or whatever it is, maybe I'll give you an opportunity. Now, that's fantasy land. Right. You know, because what we, you know, this was in 1984. By 1989, that was a reality. Right. But it came from Prince, which, you know. Right. And, of course, what made it really work was not only just the basic compliment of a musician of his caliber telling me that he finds value in what I want to do on my own, but he also had the means to make it happen because he had a record company. (laughs) Sure did. So, um, And you got to play with the people you loved and the people you wanted to play with. Because because of... uh, Prince and Prince's Productions, I, end, I ended up doing something ostensibly for Miles Davis that was never released. Oh. But I got the opportunity to meet Miles Davis, and actually he sat in with us on a gig once, on a, a, a New Year's Eve gig. Check uh, YouTube. Uh, yeah, well, they all the Prince fans know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you had dinner with him. I had dinner with him. I'm on a song that Prince produced for Patti LaBelle. I'm on stuff that he produced for Mavis Staples. I'm on something that he produced for James Brown and Aretha Franklin. Mm. I'm on a song that we did for Kid Creole. Wow. Um, and, and at the same time that I was becoming an artist on Paisley Park Records, George Clinton yes. was an artist on Paisley Park That's Records. right. Oh. And he did two albums for Paisley Park. The first one was called Cinderella Theory. The second one was called Smell My Finger. Of course. On Cinderella Theory, there are only two songs on that album that have horns. And they're my horns, me mm. and Bliston, and I did the horn arrangements for them. How great is that? Me and Bliston flew to Detroit to spend an evening with George. Now, here's, here, here's really what it comes full circle. When I saw my name on that album, tenor saxophone, Eric Leeds, trumpet, Lana Bliss, Matt Bliston, horn arrangements by Eric Leeds on a George Clinton album. That meant more to me than seeing my name on any Prince record. I'm sorry, you know, because of George course. Clinton was one of that my your biggest heroes. Of course. You know, now the association became through Prince. Of course. You know. Yeah. Yeah. 
and and then I ended up doing um, um, some of the horn horn stuff on on the next album also for George. You know, so. Well, let's fast forward because yeah. this is an hour podcast. We this could be a five hour podcast. Right. Well, but let's talk a little bit about yeah. your and my relationship, yes. and, and and more specifically LP music. LP music is uh, a record that Eric and I made three years ago. Three we years started ago. it yeah. four years ago. Yeah. Conceptually, we went to see your good buddy Christian McBride, and he was doing an, uh, a jam session. Basically, uh, an impromptu uh, conversational, yeah, uh, improv- yeah improvisational Chris, Christian is, is you know most known for for just a straight up hardcore jazz upright bass player. Probably, mm-hmm. probably has been the premier bass player in, in for, modern for jazz for like twenty five 20 year, years, twenty five yeah. years now. Right, but Christian is a James Brown fanatic. Yeah, and actually worked with James, did some things with James. No kidding. Oh yes, yeah. Um, Knew James very well. So anyway, um, so he's into funk, yep. all kinds of funk, you know, because his, you know, one of his closest friends was, was Questlove. That's you right. Know, they they went up, to school together. They, they went to school together. And Joey DeFrancesco, I might right. tell you. Yeah, yeah. This is all in Philly. Yeah, exactly. And Boys to Men. Is that yeah. right? All those, yeah. All so any, anyway, crazy. Christian, you know, from, from time to time does like a more R&B funk kind of thing. So this is the thing that you're talking to, yes. where, where he actually, he came in and he had Patrice Russian on yes, keyboards. Yes, he did. And a DJ. And a DJ. Yeah. So, but it was very, it was very impromptu. Yeah. And it was cool. Work. You know, he was playing Fender bass. He was. And it was great. But I just remember <laughs> we're sitting there, we're sitting there, we're digging it. But, and you say to me. <laughs> we can do this stuff. We, yeah. We should, we can we do, should do this. We, we should, should do this. We should do this. And LP Music was born. There we go. And we started right there and... Yeah. Tell these guys a little bit about the record and the and the process of making it and some well, of the highlights well, the basic, of the basic idea of where was we're at. that that we did um, we did a crowdfund for it if you recall right because basically mm-hmm. you know we're independent there's no label coming to us and we said how do we finance doing something that's credible you know right. that gives us the resources to actually spend the time and energy and and, and, and pay people to, and pay people right you know and and yeah. And so we came up with the idea of, well, crowdfunding. Right. Why not? So we did, and, and we are extraordinarily um, thankful and grateful mm-hmm. to virtually over somewhere between well over 400 people that pledged. Pledged. Yep. And, and for, you know, in, in different levels, different tiers, for, you know, depending. There, there were some people that gave us a whole lot of money that are listed as associate yeah. and executive right, producers. Right, right. We had different levels. Yeah. You know how the crowdfunding works. So, so this enabled us to spend the time and, like you say, pay the, the, the level of the musicians um, to perform on this. It is, But it only came out to those supporters. Yeah, we never released this yes. to the general public before, and yeah. that's what's... So finally... And that, when is this coming is out, Eric? Well, we are, what do we say, next uh, December... I'm not sure when this is airing, but December 3rd, it's coming out. Yeah, yeah. Right. And it, uh, you, you will find, you know, we have all, we should give them our, our rundown of our, our um, websites, first of all. By all means. Um, LP Music, um, our website for LP Music 
is leadspetersonmusic.com. That's correct. The reason we <laughs> couldn't use LP music is because Latin LP percussion. Latin percussion. Yeah, we, we didn't want to get sued. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, you know. So we have leadspetersonmusic.com is the primary. Um, there it is. They're, they're, they're uh, calling us now. That's leadspetersonmusicbeding.com. Um, you have a website, of course. PaulPeterson.com. You have a website. EricLeeds.com. We also have FDeluxe.com. It's going to be everywhere. The links, because basically um, the links are going to take you to eBay. Why uh, eBay? It, it's not an auction. No. <laughs> you know, but um, we're actually doing eBay because it, it is a very uh, easy and efficient way for us to distribute and get get the CD to you, for, yeah. for those of you. So, so there's going to be autographed and non-autographed, yes, right? Yes, we there are going to be two separate listings on eBay, for one for just a standard um, CD. And yep. if, if you wish to have us autograph it, then there will be a separate listing for that. Right. All the links will, like I say, be up on um, our websites. And we'll but put you, it also, on, you, yeah. you also can go to eBay and just type in... Leeds Peterson. LP, yeah, Leeds yeah. Peterson, and, and it'll... Get you here, and we'll put it on music it. on the run websites as well. We'll make yes. sure that it yeah. that we advertise it there. But the music, and, yeah, tell them a little bit about the music, yeah. and well, who's on it. Well, the music is is instrumental music primarily. Uh, is why it's called No Words, mm -hmm. <laughs> among other reasons. Um, Paul and I just coming to understand. I, I have to tell you, for all the years that I've been making music like this, to have all of a sudden, you know, because I've known Paul for all these years, but when I first knew him, he was a he was a snotty, <laughs> snotty nosed nineteen year old kid oh. who was going to be a, a, a pop star. Oh boy, was I ever! You know, and as we started working on our F Deluxe album oh, ten years ago, now yeah. the album is no uh, uh, Gaslight. I'm starting to really actually work with Paul in a manner that I'd never really had the opportunity to before. And after that, realizing that you have, from a production standpoint, but also just from a musical standpoint, a vocabulary that even though you have no references to, like I do, having grown up with this nature of this music, yeah. as you said, let's just see what happens. And, no harm in that. Yeah. And it worked. And like I said, having somebody that can take ideas that I have and then flesh them out in such a different manner than what I would do if just left to my own devices, but in a way that just gives me the opportunity to have to do different things that are within my realm of experience, but not specifically what I would do if it was just up to my own. And that makes it so much more enjoyable. Yeah, it made you stretch and you made me stretch. Absolutely. Yeah, because that's what a good partnership does in you know, the studio. The, yeah, because there's that old thing that that that, that the um, the result is greater than the sum of its parts. Mm -hmm. Is that old phrase? Yes. Um, much of the music Paul and I just crafted as we're going on in real time. Now, the only thing else I got to add about Paul is that he is also a tremendous music producer, and your ability to get around Pro Tools as well as you did <laughs> that makes didn't hurt. go so fast well, because we, like we could fast. realize yeah. the ideas almost immediately. That is a luxury. That is, yeah. That's now, one of the things I love about modern technology. Is well, yeah, like but just the fact that the way you play guitar, the way you play drums, the way you play keyboards and bass, that so many things that I could come up with, which are, you know, I come up like... I've got an idea for a bass or something I hear in guitar. Well, I can't do that, but you can. Mm -hmm. And immediately you can give me 
an idea. And if you're saying, I hear what you know on guitar, if this is something you feel is not right in your wheelhouse, yeah. we know who to get. Right. You know. And who's on the record? Well, that's give the give thing. me some uh, some other guests that we have um, on here. Mike Stern on guitar. Mike Stern is in jazz and jazz funk fusion, probably one of the premier eminent guitar players oh, for yeah. like oh, 40 years now. Oh, yeah. I first learned of Mike Stern because he was playing with Miles Davis for right. years back in the, in the early 80s. You've known him for a lot of other projects mm-hmm. over the years. Sure am. Um, Fortunately, he was playing in town. At the Dakota. At the Dakota with... Uh, um, uh, Brecker. R- Randy Brecker. And I called Randy Brecker, and I went, Hey, Randy, uh, do you have Mike Stern's number? I want him to play in my record, and I felt like such a schmuck. Yeah, because we weren't I, asking Randy, because we all Randy Brian Lynch. Lynch. <laughs> you know, so, so, yeah. Yeah, I didn't ask him to play on it, but that's how we got... I literally and, went down and picked him up in the car. Yeah, Mike came, came in the studio. Mike was just... <clears throat> Just tremendous. He was just a sweet, sweetheart of a guy. Absolutely. And just, you know, one of these guys, you know, we've, we've had a lot of situations where you get somebody that you want, and there were, they might be great musicians. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's not like even that I have the, the illusion that a great musician necessarily is just going to come in and really dig what we're doing because they've heard it all before. Right. But Mike came in and just immediately just grabbed he a hold of it. He knew what to do, man. Yeah. He's like, oh, I got this. Yeah. And 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 when you have that situation, it, it's it's really wonderful. Yeah, it was um, great. Who else is on the record? A very dear friend of mine, trumpet player, who I've known for a long time, who was one of the preeminent jazz trumpet players, named Brian Lynch. Mm. I knew him when he played with Eddie Palmieri and one of my my other heroes. But um, he's got. In fact, Brian has a new album. I have to, I have to go by now. Um, and I've worked with Brian before. And um, I knew that the, the two songs that he was on, he was just going to kill. Right. And we, you know, this situation, we were able to send him the files, mm-hmm. knowing exactly what, and what he sent back was just like, perfect, wow, perfect. Yep. Um, we've got you your brother. We've got your My brother. My brother, Ricky, Ricky. whom I, I don't think I've ever done a project without. I have done... Every album that I have done, even all the, the, the several that I've done are my only, the yeah. only musician other than me that's on all my records is Ricky. Isn't that something? Yeah. Well, there's a reason for that. There's a reason why he's the number one call keyboard player well, on the you planet. you know, as another benefit of working with Paul, because, you know, I can, <laughs> you know, it, if worse comes to worse, I can use Paul to get to Ricky. That's true. So, and so. he has. And still does. <laughs> Thank so. you very much. Ricky, Rick. Rick, Ricky's just tremendous on it. Yeah, um, he is. We have Questlove. Mm-hmm. Our dear friend Questlove, who has been a huge supporter, he really has, man. He's yeah. been so good, yeah. to us, and been one of the reasons why he, you know, he got F Deluxe to play at his Grammy party and right. kind of got the ball rolling. And we got him to play on the gig with us, uh, unannounced. Oh, as yeah. an added attraction when we did a gig opening up for D'Angelo. With at, LP. At, there with was two LP. drummers in LP. Yeah. Uh, Pitar, Pitar and Questlove. Questlove. At First Avenue. At First sold Avenue. out. The place was yeah. packed. And yeah. They loved it. It was tremendous. Um, so th- those are, the, those are the, the, you know, the, the guest stars. The band that we have been using at the, t- you know, at the time, still guys that are, you know, we have a cast of characters. Mm. Stokely Williams, if, if you don't know Stokely Williams, you certainly know him from Mint Condition, of course, yeah. his own records. But Stokely Williams is also an absolute brilliant drummer. Boy, is he ever. I had the opportunity to play in a Latin jazz band for almost 10 years. With Stare, with, yeah. With the Stare Godinas. Yeah. Um, Stokely is not on this record, but Stokely is on what we have as a bonus. We do. That is going to yeah. be available through a different... Um, yeah. We'll see how we're going to get that to you, but yeah, we'll that's a special deal. But we Stokely, don't even know what we're Stokely doing. Stokely is part of our 
our family of, of, of... He sure is. The drummer that we have, uh, have been, has been performing with us is a young kid who came to Minneapolis uh, from Serbia, mm. of all places. Right. Uh, he's kind of like a disciple of Michael Bland, True. as much as others, and his name is Petar Janic. And he plays with Corey Wong now, and he's like... Right. Yeah. Corey Wong is blown up. Oh, no. I've yeah. known Corey for a long time, and... Yeah. Taking Patar and the Hornets and so many people uh, right. along with them on the ride, but yeah, so that's so Patar is on drums. He's on drums. You're on bass, guitar, keyboards, and, and everything yeah. else. Um, we have a wonderful percussionist named Shai Hayo. Yep, he played great on the played, record. Yep, playing congas, uh, timbales, hand percussion, all of those things. Brian Z. Brian Z. Brian Zemniak. We call him Brian Z. Who has been our one of our keyboard players. Yep. Plays with um, Def Deluxe as well. Don't yeah, yes. tell them who the other is. And guy. then uh, also the uh, other piano soloist on on the album was a, a dear, dear friend of mine, in fact, named Peter Shimke, who tragically passed away um, several years ago. Mm. Um, miss him dearly. He was he was very close. In fact, he was the piano player in the band with Esther that I played with Stokely oh, for right, so many years. Right. Um, and this might be one of the last recordings that... Peter might have been on. I think you're uh, right. It could have been, and and he was, you know, he was a, a a core member of LP Music for all the gigs that we had been doing, and and um, his spirit is on. His spirit is with us. I mean, he's big he's, time. Yeah, big time. So that that's basically the the uh, cast of characters. So are you ever going to do another gig? Well, I just want to know if I'm working or not. Yeah, we'll we'll get around to him. You think yeah, so? We'll get yeah, we'll we'll get out there. So that's yeah. the world according to Eric Leeds in an hour and fifteen minutes or less. We we could talk so much more, man. But I got to just say, thank you. I mean, you're one of my oh, dearest well, buddies on the planet, and you know, uh, look, I, your, I mean, your family. For, for for the point for me more than anything else is for aspiring musicians. You're always going to find people that that you know become friends of yours, and they're like you know a lot of musicians have you know guys that I grew up with, mm -hmm. your musical buddies. When you find somebody that has this ability that you can sit and, and and we're old enough now that we don't have time to, I mean, we've got egos. You know, we certainly got <laughs> egos, but it's like if I'm bringing an idea, Paul has a song, and I'll come to Paul and I said, Well, I want to add something to your song. And Paul says, You know, so he ain't adding nothing to my song. You know, it ain't, you know, it's like, right. Okay, what do you got? Right. You and better bring cool, it. Yeah, it's cool. But at the end of the day, Paul says, "No, I'm not hearing that. It's okay that I got. I, I don't have time. We don't have time to waste. What do you mean you ain't hearing that? That's the hippest shit in the world. <laughs> yeah, we don't care. Yeah, it's like okay, what are you hearing? Let's move on, and vice versa. Right, we'll and save it for another groove. Or exactly. Something. I'll tell you, you don't like that. I'll put on my own record. That's need, exactly you know, right. It's a whole thing, and that is but, the humor that we're when you. At the end of the day, when you're extending things, because there are certain things on some of those, some of the material on that I don't think you and me know what you did or what I did. You know, at the end of the day, it is what it is, yep. and and it's just extending the, the the trip. And like like Paul said, it I can I can from this music be able to have musical experiences that I'm not going to have if I'm just left to my own devices mm -hmm. and, and vice versa. When you find, if you find somebody like that, that you can have that kind of a musical rapport, hold on to that. Mm -hmm. There's nothing more valuable to being a musician than that. And you might as well be a Peterson at this point. Do you, we've adopted you. Um, dude, you're one of my closest friends. Well, I love you, man. And, no. and well, I'm just, my life is so much better because 
not only musically but friendship wise because well, you're in it. So absolutely, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Eric Frickin leads Paul right Peterson. here. Thanks. That's episode fifty-two. Uh, we will see you for episode fifty-three, season three. We're out. Thanks, Eric. Thank you. Music on the Run was hosted by yours truly, St. Paul Peterson. Edited and produced by my buddy, Davide Razo. Video editing by Tanner Montague. And a very special thanks to the people who financially support this podcast. And remember, it's only a gig. 